0: Everyone is welcome. Again, get your discounted ticket at themaverickshow.com slash Latino. And as soon as you do, send me a DM on Instagram at Matt Bowles Maverick. Let me know that you're coming so that we can make plans to link up in person. And now here's a clip of what's coming up on today's episode.
1: Oh, I loved, 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 Aaron. I was blown away to me, Iran is in terms of cultural sophistication and history and all of those things. It's basically the equivalent of, let's say, France in the Western world. I mean, the cuisine is so rich and delicious and they'll make ice cream with rose petal water and sauces that you have with your meat will have like pistachio in it and whatever. And then you come back and you're like, what, you want me to have tea and ice cream with, like, normal water? Like, what is this? (laughs) You know? This is The Maverick Show, where you'll meet today's most interesting real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and world travelers, and
0: learn the strategies and tactics they use to succeed. And now, here's your host, Matt Bowles. Hey, everybody. It's Matt Bowles. Welcome to The Maverick Show. My guest today is Lavinia Yosub. She is a location-independent entrepreneur and the managing partner of It International a comprehensive support ecosystem for entrepreneurs and startup teams. Headquartered in Bali, Indonesia, Livit offers physical co-working and event space, as well as a digital hub that offers HR recruitment, business admin, and finance services, as well as training on how to build a high-performance, engaged, scalable, remote-capable team. Livet also offers curated getaway events and retreats for entrepreneurs and teams as part of their project getaway. Over the past six years, Livet has inspired and enabled over a thousand entrepreneurs, remote workers, freelancers and digital nomads to build disruptive businesses with a global impact, some of which have scaled to over a 100 team members. Originally from Romania, Lavinia is currently based in Bali and has traveled to over 40 countries. Lavinia, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Matt.
0: I am so excited to have you here. This conversation is going to be awesome for a number of reasons, but let's just start with our respective locations where we are. We're actually about 12 hours apart time zone wise. I am in the United States on the East Coast. So for me, it's uh, evening time and I've actually got my glass of red wine here. Uh, But where are you and what time is it for you?
1: I am in Bali in Indonesia, late morning here, and I've got my coffee by my side.
0: (laughs) I love it. That's fantastic. I want to start a little bit with your backstory in terms of growing up in Romania. And can you take us through that a little bit and what ultimately sort of led you into this lifestyle direction?
1: Sure. Yeah. I I grew up in Romania as we were going through a transition from a pretty brutal communist dictatorship, which I have not lived through. I'm a, let's say, revolution kid towards being an EU country, part of NATO and so on. So it was a very interesting transition to experience growing up. There was this sense of possibility and change and excitement, to be honest. And as I was growing up and as I was becoming a teen and young adult and so on, we slowly opened up to the world and we started traveling and doing exchange programs all over Europe and other places in the world and so on. I was also a pathfinder growing up. So I spent a lot of time in the beautiful Transylvanian uh, mountains and forests, camping and learning how to basically survive in a forest. If you need to ever do that, I'm your gal. And I also was very passionate about art and painting, actually. So I was doing lots of that. I even had a personal exhibition curated by a local art festival when I was about 12. All in all, I would describe my upbringing as incredibly... Rich and exciting and full of explorations of all kinds, which I think played a huge role in how the rest of my life has shaped.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about that a little bit. I mean, it definitely sounds like you had that combination of sort of creative, artistic interests, as well as that adventurous side of you in terms of survival stuff and all that that you were doing. How did that ultimately lead you to travel? Where did that start coming into your life and what did your sort of travel trajectory look like?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, I have a pretty special relationship with my dad. We're very close. And he always loved to travel. And he was frequently traveling. And I think the fact that in his time, when the Iron Curtain fell, there was this sort of newly rediscovered sense of freedom and of, oh, my God, I can now go anywhere in the world and I can experience all these things and so on. It almost made us in Eastern Europe maybe take advantage of it even more than uh, people coming from other places, right? That they never had like any kind of restrictions historically, right? So definitely there's an element there in terms of travel and how things shaped up for me later on. I was very excited to and fully took advantage of all these opportunities, such as sort of scholarship Erasmus programs in Europe, ISEC, which is another big organization that it's a platform for high potential youth that basically facilitates international exchange programs, internships, volunteering, leadership development, and so on. And so many like programs like work and travel for the summer and all of that. I was very interested and fully took advantage of all these things in my like late teens and early 20s. And in a way, when you've done that, when you're really young, you almost can't imagine your life being in an office nine to five every day of the year for the rest of your life, right? It's, it's almost not even part of what you're considering, right? So yeah, I had a three-year stint at the beginning of my career in banking. I worked for a German bank, which I credit with a lot of my discipline around work right, and habits and things like that. That was good to start with. Very organized, very structured. But then it became obvious that that wasn't the way to go for the rest of my career. So I then kind of started exploring working in other countries, being location independent and so on.
0: So the banking job, was that in Romania?
1: Yes, it was.
0: Okay. And then once you left that, what was your trajectory like? So if you did that for a few years, but then when you wanted to do the location independence thing and you wanted to travel, how did you get out of that traditional banking job and what was your trajectory from there?
1: Right. So actually, I was mentioning Isaac earlier, which is this youth-run organization. And what I did when I got out of banking is that I got involved at the sort of leadership executive level with ISEC. And that often means sort of opening up new regions, territories, countries, or sort of going into various areas where you can help with expanding the organization, right? So that is what initially brought me to Azerbaijan and got me to work with a lot of variety of people and entities and organizations in the country. And then iSEC also has lots of international conferences and programs and like basically you can be somewhere else every few months of the year if you wish. Right. So that was in a way the gateway.
0: Got it. Okay. So let's talk about Azerbaijan. I went there for the first time in 2019. I went to Baku, stayed there for a while. So went to Tbilisi in Georgia for a while. I went, then I went through Russia for about a month. Because I know you were based in Azerbaijan for like four years. So I would love to hear your experience and your impression of Azerbaijan and you know for folks that have never been it was really interesting because I sort of had an idea what to expect but I wasn't entirely sure you know and I, I was taking I can remember this I was taking the overnight train from Tbilisi to Baku
1: oh nice I was on that train many many times <laughs>
0: It's an amazing experience, right? There is no English spoken on that train, by the way.
1: Nope.
0: (laughs) So, but which makes it an amazing local experience. But so I'm reading the guidebook, right? I was with a friend of mine, Katie Fowler. Shout out if she's listening to this. And we're reading through the guidebook about Baku. And it says the architecture in the city of Baku is what would happen if Paris and Dubai had a love child. And we kind of looked at each other. We're like, huh? And then we get there and we're like, you know what? I could see that. You know, it was pretty interesting because they've got all of these like Parisian facades on kind of these old Soviet era buildings. They've all been kind of renovated up as so those parts of the city do kind of look like Paris. And then there's other parts that have this super postmodern, you know, interesting architecture with buildings that have flames appear that have flames going up them in lights and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, really, really interesting stuff. And then, of course, there's the really old history of uh, Zoroastrianism there and the fire temples in Baku. And like, there's just a lot of really interesting stuff. I found it to be like a super fascinating city, but I would love to hear your take on it and your impression, especially because you stayed there for four years. What was that like?
1: So I was there from 2011 to end of 2014, basically. And it's a fascinating place, but a crossroad between so many different like, massive historical empires, right? The Persian, Ottoman, Russian, Tsarist, whatever you want to call them, right? It's also on the Silk Road, right? Which meant that there was so much trade coming in and out and through. And it's such a rich history. And it's got so many different layers of, as you're saying, right, like so many contradictions and so many unexpected things, right, all kind of mixed into one.
0: You're right. It is a super interesting place, right, especially for people that like history and this very interesting fusing of cultures, right, because you have the Turkish Ottoman history there, you have the Persian, you know, history there, and then you have the Russian History there it was, of course, a former uh, part of the former Soviet Union. And now you have a lot of Arab culture. there. There's a lot been a lot of Arab immigration there. Mm-hmm. And you just have this really, really interesting kind of cultural fusion mix. I was just kind of there and I was just sort of soaking it all in and, you know, going to these different places, these rich parts of all of those different cultures. And it was just fascinating. But I would love to hear some of your highlights. You mentioned to me that you actually had a run in with the Trump family organization while you were there, and I would love to hear that story and how that all went down.
1: So to give a little bit of context, on top of all the other kind of cultural complexities that we highlighted in the last few minutes, Azerbaijan also has very European aspirations and ambitions, right? they kind of like, or Western, we would say so, right? So the country is like 40, 60% in terms of geography, actual geography is split between Europe and Asia, technically, right? And they've invested a lot of money in being part of Eurovision. I don't know if that's something that Americans would know about, but it's a big like European song contest that is a huge cultural phenomenon. They've invested a lot of money in bringing like Formula One there and European games. So trying to sort of be on the map. When I moved there in 2011, most people had no idea about it. And they thought I was mispronouncing Afghanistan when I was telling people that I'm moving to Azerbaijan, right? Now, which is, let's say, more or less 10 years later, most people know about it. They'll be like, oh, Baku, right? So things have tremendously changed in terms of you know, awareness and visibility of Azerbaijan. So, yeah, I mean, why I'm bringing this up is because as I was there for those four years, Azerbaijan was trying very hard to attract this, you know, celebrities to endorse local brands, this big international events, big international brands, right? Over two or three years, I was there. The first years I was there, I think something like seven different New five-star hotel brands had opened, had entered Baku, which is huge, right? Because it's a capital city, but it's not that big, right? So all of this was going on. And then you get to being in the thick of that. You get to work with a lot of interesting projects and so on. And yes, I did have a run-in with the Trump organization. They had contacted us on the tail end of my stay in Baku regarding the Trump Tower and launching Trump Tower which was in the works at the time. And we did a bunch of work for them. But long story short, they dropped the project, never paid us. And that was the first project that got fully dropped when Donald Trump won the presidency.
0: (laughs) Jeez. Wow. That's crazy. And then you also told me that you had a run-in with the KGB in Baku, which I also want to hear this story
1: Yes, I mean, the KGB is like sort of called that, but it's technically the uh, Ministry of Internal Affairs and Security in Azerbaijan. So it's fully ran by the Azeris, not by the Russians, obviously with some Russian links and so on. But yeah, I got into a very interesting situation where I worked on a project that brought Mila Yavovich, some of you might know from like Fifth Element or Resident Evil and so on, to Azerbaijan to do the first Hollywood star endorsement for a local brand ever. And that was a successful project. However, (laughs) the whole story ended up with me getting interrogated one day by one of the sort of security agents because there had been a huge misunderstanding about some statements that she's made and yeah that was a very interesting moment where you're like okay this is interesting this is going to be a story to tell the grandkids <laughs>
0: <laughs> the day you got interrogated by the KGB that's wild so I also want to ask you though because I know you've traveled around that region a lot you know I was in Tbilisi Georgia last year as well really interesting city Istanbul Turkey obviously is, is an extraordinary city it's one of my favorite cities in the world but I know you have also traveled to Iran, which is very high on my list. I've never been there, but I have a number of Persian friends and I really, really want to go very badly. But I would love to hear what was your impression when you were spending time in Iran?
1: Oh, I loved, loved, loved Iran. Going there, obviously, as a woman, you are going through a fair amount of I don't know, should we call it anxiety, right? Because you hear all the stories in the media and everything. However, being uh, located in Azerbaijan, I was really close, right? It's a neighboring country. So I was like, I really want to go and explore Iran for a bit. And I was blown away. To me, Iran is, in terms of cultural sophistication and history and all of those things, It's basically the equivalent of, let's say, France in the Western world. I mean, the cuisine is so rich and delicious and they'll make ice cream with rose petal water and sauces that you have with your meat will have like pistachio in it and whatever. And then you come back and you're like, what, you want me to have tea and ice cream with like normal water? Like, what is this? (laughs) You know, (laughs) (laughs) the cuisine is amazing. I mean, if you get a little bit into the poetry and literature, obviously um, I don't speak Persian, so I couldn't read it in original. But it's absolutely beautiful, and the architecture. I loved Esfahan, which is not the capital city, which is Tehran, but it's sort of like the cultural capital of the older, like Persia, and I found that to be so interesting. The mosques, the sort of art that you find, for example, there's in the in the middle of the city, there's this huge bazaar that has all kinds of souvenirs. And there's not one inch of cheap plastic imported stuff. Everything is like sort of leather goods and jewelry made by artists basically in the back of the shop. So you can go in and see these things, right? How things are made. And it's often like this, like very intricate, skilled, craftsmanship. I absolutely loved it. I loved the people. I got in touch there with a variety of NGO people, uh, sort of doctors, teachers, and so on. I once had a midnight picnic in a park in the middle of the night that included both men and women. So naughty of us, right? <laughs> so yeah, just so good. I would go back anytime.
0: Oh, my gosh. You make me want to go even more. It's already on like the top of my list. Like when somebody asked me, like, what are your top couple countries you want to go to? I always name Iran because, like you said, I love every part of Iranian culture that I've experienced, like the food. And I go to Iranian events, I have Iranian friends like I just love it all. And I've just wanted to go for so long. And then I was there in Azerbaijan. I was like right next door and I, I didn't get there last year either so it's it's super high on my list but tell me your impression also of turkey and georgia cuz i know you spent a bunch of time in those places as well
1: right so iran and georgia are some of my favorite destinations in the world actually i love georgia for very similar reasons cuisine is amazing very unique right it's a, like a in a way a mix of different cuisines that exist in the region taught with all kinds of like original stuff as well, right? Um, And we actually, I'm very happy because we have a decent Georgian restaurant here in Bali. We actually have about three, but one of them is actually good. And the culture is so unique, right? Like the dances and the music and the jewelry making. And you've been there, you know, this like a flea market, right? The Sunday one that you get to shop for all kinds of vintage things and art and so on. And people are so hospitable. Like That's one of the things that I absolutely loved about that region. So Iran, Georgia, Azerbaijan, Turkey, it's all like you get to meet people and they invite you over and they're like serving you whatever they have in their fridge and cook for you. And it's just sort of heartwarming to be in a place that just assumes that people are good and they're just strangers or friends that we haven't met yet. I absolutely love that. There's also Georgia is also, also absolutely beautiful in the countryside. They've got this like very interesting stuff going on. I don't know if you went to Vardia which is basically a village that exists in caves, right? On a mountain which used to be like monk settlement absolutely fascinating region. I absolutely recommend it to anybody who wants to get a little bit out of their comfort zone and be absolutely surprised. Turkey, so part of Romania was actually a province of the Ottoman Empire. So we have quite a bit of cultural connections to say so, right? Like some mixed families and some food that is shared between the two countries and everything. So yeah, that feels like kind of close to home. I'm actually having a layover in Turkey next Sunday, flying towards Europe. And I'm looking forward to having some baklava and some, uh, <laughs> some uh, Turkish tea. So yeah.
0: That is my favorite airport in the world to do a layover in the Istanbul airport. Whenever I can go through the Istanbul airport, I I have status on the Star Alliance, which includes Turkish Airways. And so when I go through Istanbul, I can go into the Turkish Airways Lounge, which is the most extraordinary lounge that I have ever been in. It is just, it's like a Two to three story lounge, and it has like billiards tables and a movie theater and all this stuff. And then it has like chef stations where they're cooking all of this amazing Turkish food, and it has like espresso stations and wine stations. I mean, it is just the most amazing thing. So I'll literally intentionally try to schedule like an eight hour layover at the <laughs> Istanbul airport and just work from the lounge all day and just eat Turkish food like all day I long. Just have the that
1: Turkish omelettes and the teas and the desserts <laughs> and everything. How how good
0: are those? That's it. That's it. That's so amazing. I want to go back so bad. I agree with you about everything that you've said about the region. It's such, such, such a special place and such wonderful and extraordinary and welcoming people. So what on earth made you leave that place and go over to Bali? What was that sort of transition about? And what happened in Bali when you got there?
1: Right. So my current business partner, who's called Michael, and he's from Denmark, he was already in Bali at the time. And through somebody that was working for him and was also an ISEC alumna, the organization that I mentioned earlier, we kind of connected. And I came to Bali to help out with one of the projects that he was running at the time for maybe a year. It's been six (laughs) (laughs) And we've done a number of things together in the meantime. So he moved to Bali in the early 2010s. And he was really tired of the nine to five. He was what I would call a corporate SKP, right? And he just decided to build his own business. And he founded what is now called Live It as a co-living community for founders, right? So this one was before co-living became trendy. So basically I uh, joined and we sort of like joint forces, I came up with a concept for the Livid Hub Bali, which is our physical hub here, and then kind of worked on packaging a variety of services that we now offer and the Remote Skills Academy, which is an academy that teaches Indonesians how to work remotely. So it all kind of, it was supposed to be, you know, trying out a collaboration, and then it ended up in this octopus-like
0: Wow, that's amazing. Well, I actually want to break that down. And I want to go through the different component parts of Livid because I think what you guys offer is a really an incredible and wide ranging ecosystem of support and services to entrepreneurs. So I definitely want to go through them. But before we do, I want to hear a little bit more about the origin of, you know, as you were building the co-working space, you were telling me that when it was under construction and you were away visiting your family in England, that you got a phone call. And I wanted you to tell me about that story about what happened on the construction site.
1: Yeah, that's a really funny story. So the hub that we have in Bali is, so basically what we did is that I found this old factory it was a clothing factory initially, and it had been empty for a while. And it was a building that could easily be like sort of rebuilt, right, and turned into what I had in mind. So I proceeded to sort of Blow up the whole thing, the floors, the plumbing, the electricity, redo everything and compartmentalize it in a way that made sense for us. We have a variety of spaces like I don't know, quiet nap rooms, Skype rooms, a beautiful rooftop with 360 view over Bali and all kinds of stuff like that. So as we were in the middle of this process, I had a trip to Europe for the winter holidays and I was in the UK with my family there. And We got this phone call (laughs) where we were told that we're unsure of what's happening in the building, but there are death sounds coming out of it. (laughs) (laughs) So the first thought I had in mind is that this is not a good place to have that in because generally Indonesians are quite superstitious. In English or other languages, you have ghosts, right? And there's a ghost, that's it, right? But then in Indonesian, you have like seven different types of ghosts that all have their own like specific characteristics and everything. Right. So my first thought was like, oh, no, this is not a good place to have death sounds coming out of anything. If there was ever going to be a place where that's OK. <laughs> so long story short, it turned out that we had some Japanese workers working on the building. Java is the island, neighboring island to Bali. And it's uh, the biggest island. Actually, the largest part of the population in Indonesia is, is located on Java. And we had a bunch of Japanese workers employed by the construction company. And they love to eat, to catch and eat what we called here, byawak, which is like a monitor lizard from the same family as a Komodo dragon. If you know those.
0: Yeah, I have seen monitor lizards. They are really huge.
1: They can be huge. So they had basically caught uh, two of those and um, killed them and cooked them in the building because they basically lived in the building as they were building it. (laughs) So, um, but you can imagine that that was a hard to explain phone call.
0: without the headaches of being the landlord or the rehabber or needing to live near the property. So I wanna offer you a free consultation if that sounds interesting to you. To learn more about it, you can just go to themaverickshow.com slash consult. And now, back to the episode.
1: While being in England having afternoon tea. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's amazing. That's amazing. So you finally get the entire physical co working space built, and you then also now offer an entire suite of services for entrepreneurs and digital nomads. So let's just kind of break those down and go through them. Can you talk about just sort of the concept of living? I think it's super innovative. You guys have obviously really spent a lot of time differentiating yourself from other companies that might be just a co-working space or, you know, something like that. But maybe start with, you know, the physical co-working space and, and what the opportunities are with that, but then go into, you know, some of the other specific offerings in terms of how you work with and add value for entrepreneurs.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for asking that. So the Livid International is basically an umbrella and we run a variety of things under it, some of them being their own brands, some of it being services that we offer. So Livid Hub Bali is probably our biggest brand. It's the physical co-working startup innovation hub that we have here in Bali that we were just talking about. Basically, the concept of it is Geared completely towards productivity and towards having an amazing life where you work in a very productive, focused way for a number of hours and then you kind of take breaks, do yoga on the rooftop or explore the beach, which is five minutes away, or explore other parts of Bali and everything. So basically, the concept is a chore free environment where we do not only spaces that are uh, kind of equipped with sort of AC and ergonomic chairs and high-speed internet connection and all of these things, but also we take care of meals every day. We take care of laundry, of yoga classes, massages sometimes, of deliveries, a variety of things, so that you can fully focus on getting work done. So the space is also perfect for teams. So we obviously welcome like solopreneurs or individuals as well. But it's kind of built to be a very productive environment for teams. And we have a number of teams working out of here and we have a number of basically individuals as well. So that's Live It Hop. We also run a number of different Programs out of here, and we have events and so on. So it's truly like a hub, right? With lots going on. Obviously, right now, not so much going on.
0: Let's just start with pre COVID, too, because I'm going to ask you about the sort of the post COVID adjustments that you guys have made. But pre COVID, let's just say, In addition to the physical space, you've also created this as a digital hub and a support network for entrepreneurs and offered a whole bunch of services and that kind of stuff in terms of supporting these companies to build and scale and grow. And can you talk a little bit about how that, has sort of gone down and pre COVID, you know, what those services were and how you offered them?
1: Yeah. So actually, the co working service is probably the only one that was events and co working that were highly affected by COVID. All the other stuff, which I'm going to go into right now, has perhaps done even better during uh, COVID. So basically, what we've done over the last many years is that we have grown, nurtured businesses that are scalable, remote capable, and some of them are currently taking over the world. And so basically what we're doing right now is kind of sharing all of trying to share all that knowledge that we've accumulated building those businesses with new clients and wider audiences as well. So a few of the things that we do, strategic and HR business partner services, we basically help companies build high performance, scalable, remote capable teams. There's a very specific way you go around building companies like that. So we are a perfect partner for tech people who are building a product, but might not know much about how to employ people and what right in the contracts and what systems and tools to put in place to allow for streamlined, efficient workflows and to allow growth either slower, organic or very fast, which happens in many cases when you get a bigger investment and so on. So that's one of the things that we do. In addition to that, we also offer recruitment and talent acquisition services specifically for remote roles which is something that, um, as you can imagine, over the last month, a lot of people have been looking for. (laughs) It's funny because like five years ago, everybody was like, oh, why would you have a remote team when you could just have an office and, you know, see them there and manage them and everything? And now it's like, oh, where are those guys that were doing remote recruitment? (laughs) (laughs) And we also specifically in Indonesia... We help out companies that want to enter the market. So either kind of register a company or do business with companies here, and we help out with that setup. As you might know, like immigration and visas and registering a company and all that stuff can sometimes be not so easy to navigate in a place like Bali. So we do training and education as well. So we work with a variety of companies and then also universities, internship programs, on a variety of topics, mostly related to entrepreneurship and remote work. And our newest project is actually the Remote Skills Academy, which is an academy for Indonesians who want to learn to work remotely, so basically open themselves up to uh, global opportunities. This has started earlier this year. Basically, in Bali, you have this sort of very Instagrammable bubble of location-independent, Entrepreneurs and digital nomads who come here, work with clients from all over the world and get a beautiful villa, get their smoothies, get their surf in the morning and have this amazing lives. And outside of that bubble, you've got the locals who are working in sort of restrictive, seasonal, low paid jobs and I have grown a little bit frustrated with that. And I was like, okay, what are this remote work skills that are not this elusive skills that are not taught in universities that we have to figure out ourselves? And how can we make that more inclusive and accessible to Indonesians and not only as well? So we've been quite hard at work with this academy lately as well. And then we also have curated getaway events and retreats via the Project Getaway brand, which is another sort of different brand also under our umbrella. And I know that you really liked the look of that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I did. I mean, first of all, let me just also tell you how important I think it is that you guys are doing that work with Indonesians and supporting them in terms of developing their remote work skills so that they also can have location independence and be remote workers and, you know, be fairly compensated and all of that kind of stuff. Like, I think that is so, so, so important that you guys are doing that. And that's one of the things that really stood out to me about your company. I also love this Project Getaway idea. I'm hoping you can share a little bit more about it because I think that, you know, for remote Companies, right? Like my company has been location independent for 13 years now, right? And we try to do an annual retreat, right? Where we bring our team members together and that kind of stuff. And when we get together, that is such an important moment, right? Like we've built all this location independent infrastructure. But even though you've done that, when you're able to come together in person, it's just some of the most magical stuff happens. And I would love to hear about how you guys have designed Project Getaway and what that offers to companies. Again, we're assuming sort of in the pre-COVID and then again in the post-COVID era here, but you know, in an ideal situation, how does the project work?
1: Yeah, sure. Project Getaway is all about getting out of your daily routines, meeting other inspiring people, like-minded inspiring people, either people that you work with remotely from your team or people you've never met, other founders and so on. And basically having a chance over a few weeks or a month to go to the next level and be inspired and come up with and work on ideas that might otherwise never happen in your like sort of day-to-day routine. So we do that. We have two ways of doing that. One is four founders, and then we select a group that we believe can really help each other. So we put together this sort of cohort of highly curated entrepreneurs from all over the world. We spend a lot of time making it incredibly diverse and making sure that people are both like-minded, but also different enough to really offer each other different perspectives. That's basically the Project Getaway for entrepreneurs. And then we also do Project Getaway teams, which means that if you, Matt, want to bring out your team for a retreat, you normally work remotely or hybrid or not or whatever. And you want to bring out the team to Bali. We take care of everything. So you basically just show up and have an amazing two weeks or a month or whatever it is you want to have. And we can basically take care of logistics, but also trips, activities, We could also do like training and consultancy with the team to help it go to the next level and so on. So in a few words, this is the Project Getaway concept.
0: That's amazing. I love it. And I know that one of your personal core philosophies, I want to ask you if you can speak about it, is the importance of combining productivity, innovation, community, and adventure. Can you talk about why all of those can and should go hand in hand?
1: Sure. The whole concept behind Live It is actually very much related to that. It's this idea that work occupies such a huge part of our lives that it ends up actually defining our lives, right? So if you have a job that requires you to be at a certain office in a big city, which means you have to commute for an hour to get there and you have to be there for eight hours and then come back and whatever, you want it or not, that defines your life. Those are 10 or more hours of your life that you spend on that and you have to be physically present there, right? And we kind of spun that around and our tagline is work reinvented and ultimately work reinvented means life reinvented, right? So basically what we're saying is like, you don't need to be in a specific place to do amazing work. It might actually work better if you're at the other end of the world being inspired by your surroundings and everything, right? You don't have to build your life around work. You don't have to have this very specific like kind of delimitations between work and life, especially when you're an entrepreneur. You and I both know very well those lines are very much blurred sometimes. And I'm not advocating for letting work take over your life. Quite the opposite. I'm advocating for work that is built around your life and how you want your life to look like, what you want to contribute in the world. And where is that if there's a specific place or what is the lifestyle that supports that? And what is the work that supports the lifestyle that you want to have? So basically, this whole idea that adventure and community and innovation and productivity and all of these things, they don't have to clash. They can very well go hand in hand and actually help you further your life purpose, whatever that is.
0: That is awesome. I also want to ask you now about the COVID-19 era and how that has impacted your business. And you've been doing some really interesting things in response. You had a fantastic blog post, uh, which I'm going to link up in the show notes because I want everyone to read it, where you talked about intrapreneurship and a whole number of other things. You talked about the concept of anti-fragility And some really important things that entrepreneurs should be thinking about and how they should be, you know, working with their staff and thinking about, you know, their team and all that kind of stuff in this period. And I'm wondering if you could just share a little bit about some of those concepts, because I thought it was really insightful and important.
1: Absolutely. I mean, we could start from the concept of anti-fragility. The idea behind that is that we have words for things that are fragile. So they kind of, you know, don't do well with stress and pressure and so on. We have the idea of robust, which means we're resilient and a business or a person or a thing is doing well, withstanding kind of stressors, to say so. But we do not have a concept for things, people, projects, businesses that thrive in difficulty, right, that basically Take advantage of being put under stress, much as your, let's say, your muscles or your bones will get stronger if they go through effort and micro tears and so on, right? So I find that concept very interesting. And I do think how that links with entrepreneurship, which is basically this idea of acting like an entrepreneur in, inside an organization, and which is how we run Live it. Like We want everybody to be self-driven and self-managed and basically act like an entrepreneur. How that links is that a business that de- fully depends on you as an entrepreneur, where you Micromanage, where you're kind of the decision maker about everything that c- happens into the business, where everything goes through you, where everything depends on you or perhaps the management team, is a fragile business because the moment something like the pandemic comes across or other stressors like that, the moment like change occurs, everything can collapse and not do well because you only have a certain amount of capacity to deal with everything that's going on.
0: Definitely. Can you talk a little bit about how Livet is thinking about the team and the staff? And there's just this concept of versatility of roles and the concept of upskilling and some of the stuff that you guys are doing with your staff and, you know, because I thought that was really insightful and some things that other entrepreneurs, I, th- I think, should be thinking about right now.
1: Absolutely. So I strongly believe that strength doesn't come from running our companies like dictatorships or like factories. So I think a lot of companies try to run themselves that way, right? So they're like a sort of traditional command and control style. And I think that can still work for certain industries and for certain types of businesses. But I think I'm a huge future of work enthusiast. And I believe that the future doesn't work like that and doesn't look like that. I believe that a lot of the work related methods, routines, rules that we have are really based on an industrial era. And we're trying to fit creative, innovative work through that Whole, right, of doing work the way it was done 50 or 60 years ago. And it's not working. And it's making people depressed. It's making people love Fridays and hate Mondays. And it's making people hate their bosses and so on. So, what we're doing, in a few words, what we're doing with Livit, we run Livit on a system that is called Holacracy. The idea is decentralizing authority to a point where everybody can make the decisions that they need in order to unblock their work and do their best work, right? So basically people self-manage and there is a fair amount of flexibility in roles and people can decide how they get work done, where they get work done, with whom, using what tools and so on. Obviously there are some company-wide policies and tools and rules that we use in order to stay organized and streamlined. But there's a big amount of freedom. And basically, that has really helped us during this time when a lot of the things that we were doing before, as I was saying, co-working, events, retreats, and so on, could no longer be done or facilitated maybe the way that they were before and they might not be able to be done for a while, right? So obviously, as an entrepreneur, Being confronted with that, you would have to sort of bear the whole responsibility of either sort of letting people go or reinventing the whole organization in a matter of whatever we had, weeks (laughs) or yesterday, right? Because this pandemic took all of us by surprise. So yeah, being a holacracy and being a company that nurtures continuous learning and entrepreneurship and all of these things has worked really well for us. So we have a few of the things we've done. We have upskilled some of our team members to become online trainers, and we've kind of come up with new partnerships and new products and services, and we have sort of started this remote skills academy that was very timely, right, to kind of help people have more options and opportunities online. And that was possible because we had an organization that was good, like sort of self-managing, self-driving. And we had people in the team who were willing to pivot and learn new things again in a matter of weeks or months. Right. And it would not be possible in an environment where people are like, that's not my job. I was not hired to do that. I don't know how to do that. This is what I'm good at. I can't learn other things and so on, right? So yeah, that has been a little bit of what we've done in terms of operating within uncertainty to say so.
0: That's amazing. Well, we're going to link up that blog post in the show notes. As I said, I want everybody to be able to check that out because I think a lot of the concepts that you're using and a lot of the innovation that you're employing right now, you know, just in your own business is incredibly important for entrepreneurs to learn about and be able to model in their own businesses. All right, Lavinia, at this point, are you ready to move into the final section, the lightning round?
1: All right. I don't know if I'm ready, but bring it on.
0: <laughs> Let's do it. The lightning round. All right. What is one book that has really impacted you over the years that you would most recommend people check out?
1: Can I cheat and do two? (laughs) Okay. I would say generally over time, Reboot by Jerry Colonna has been a really important book. The bottom line is that better humans make better leaders. And then also that what brought us to where we are right now will not take us to the next level, right? So we need to take a deep look at ourselves at what actually brought us here and what will take us to the next level. I really, really believe that there's no way when you're a leader, you can't really separate personal and professional, right? Like the personal will be very much expressed in the professional. So it's very important that we become better humans to make better leaders, right? So that would be probably my general answer to this. However, because we just spoke about anti-fragility, I would very much recommend that book as well. Antifragile by Nassim Taleb.
0: Awesome. We're going to link up both of those books in the show notes. All right. Lavinia, what is one travel hack that you've developed and used in your world traveling experience to over 40 countries that you would uh, recommend to people?
1: I'd say that when you're switching to a significantly different time zone, I would always try to arrive in the afternoon on that specific time zone. I have had weeks that were screwed up by poorly managed uh, jet lag. So I would say that's a really useful one. So when you're switching to yeah, significantly different time zone, try to arrive at a time where by the time you get to the hotel or your accommodation or whatever, it's sort of evening. And it doesn't matter what time is in your old previous time zone, you'll hopefully be able to fall asleep and then get into a routine on the new time zone.
0: (laughs) Good tip. All right. Who is one person that's currently alive today who you've never met that you would most love to have a one on one dinner and conversation with just you and that person?
1: Ooh, this is an easy one, I'd have to say. It's got to be Alain de Botton. He is a British philosopher and the founder of an organization called the School of Life, which basically teaches emotional intelligence. And not only, it really is in the title, the School of Life. It teaches us all kinds of things that are not being taught at school, in university, and so on. And he's also the author of some of my favorite books. And yeah, I would absolutely love to have dinner with him.
0: Amazing. All right. You've been to over 40 countries. What are your top three favorite travel destinations that you'd most recommend people check out?
1: I mean, obviously, it's very personal, right? Different people enjoy different things in different countries and regions. And not every place is for everybody. But for myself personally, it would have to be Iran, Georgia, and Myanmar.
0: Nice. All right. What are your top three bucket list destinations, places that you have never been that are the highest on your list you would most love to go?
1: this is really hard. I have so many on my list. And then I also I really enjoy slow travel, right? So I don't enjoy just picking countries off the list. This is definitely a tough one. But I would have to say Lebanon. I actually had a trip planned for there later this year that is probably not going to happen. And then I would have to say Argentina. And then probably, let's say Vanuatu. I hear lots of good things about it. So that was my top three.
0: Nice. Those are really, really good picks. All right, Lavinia, I want you to let folks know how they can connect with you, how they can follow you on social media, how they can learn more about Live It and what you're up to and come into your world.
1: So yeah, LinkedIn, Facebook are good ways of connecting on LinkedIn. You can also see some of the stuff I uh, write or reflect on. I'm really bad at sharing it and promoting it, but it's there. So, And for LiveIt, we've got a website, which is liv.it, which is super easy. And we have Facebook and Instagram. We are actually working on a new revamped website right now. So depending on when this comes out it would probably be uh, people would actually come to the new website. And then I'm also happy to hear from folks via email if they want to get in touch with us on a more personal level. That's Lavinia at Livit, And yeah, so lots of ways to get in touch.
0: That's awesome. And who would be the sort of the ideal client or the ideal customer for the services of Libit? What types of folks might want to think about contacting you from a business perspective uh, that could most potentially benefit from your offerings?
1: Absolutely. So we are very, very helpful to entrepreneurs, founders who work on a business that is in the tech space or has a tech component because that's quite essential to location independence and being able to do remote work and all of that. So anybody who's in the tech space or runs a business that has a tech component to it and wants to grow their business, wants to grow their team wants to put in place system processes, retreats, people, teams that allow them to grow and do really good work in a location independent or remote work fashion. And not only actually, these things help even if you want to actually live in your hometown, but have a very streamlined, solid, sustainable business, we would be very relevant for those people. And we can help them with a lot of things.
0: That's awesome. Okay, so we're going to put up all those links for folks in the show notes so everybody can just go to one place at the maverickshow.com and all of the links for how to contact Lavinia, learn more about Livit, check out her blog post and all that stuff will be there. Lavinia, this was awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I wish we were able to have coffee together. And I hope that will happen at some point when you're in Bali or paths cross somewhere else in the world.
0: I hope so as well. And this was awesome in the meantime. So thanks again for coming on and good night, everybody. Be sure to visit the show notes page at TheMaverickShow.com for direct links to all the books, people, and resources mentioned in this episode. You'll find all that and much more at TheMaverickShow.com. Learn how Maverick Investor Group can help you by cash-flowing rental properties in the best U.S. real estate markets, regardless of where you live. Schedule a free phone consult today at themaverickshow.com consult. Now you can buy rental properties with tenants and local property management in place. So you don't have to be a landlord or a rehabber to get your questions answered and discuss how Maverick Investor Group can help you meet your real estate investing goals. Schedule your free phone consult today at themaverickshow.com forward slash consult.